Hello, and welcome to episode 82 of Killer Hangover. My name is Beth. And I'm Bettina. And this week, we're covering a few different states. All right. I have the true crime. Mom is doing the paranormal and has a beverage and is drinking by herself. What are you drinking? (laughs) So I got to pick out of all those states. And I kind of did what you did last week. And that's what I was kind of cracking up. I chose brandy for our drink. Okay. And it has to do with my... Oh! And you'll catch on when you hear it. But I'm not particularly fond of straight up brandy. Were you going to take a shot of brandy by yourself? Heck yeah. (laughs) Especially this brandy. Oh. So this is called E and J. E and J. (laughs) Drink too much. You you might end up there. Yeah. E and J, and it's actually apple brandy. It's what I used when we made that uh, cider, that apple cider. Oh, yeah. yeah. It is. Because I'm not a brandy drinker either, but that was fabulous. Yeah. They say it's extra smooth, and it's a rare blend. I'm telling you, this is extra smooth. You and could it really was not pricey at all. Easily drink this straight up. Yep. Says this. Enjoy straight up. <laughs> Or mixed. (laughs) Anyway, we'll have a picture of the bottle on our social media, but it is really very, very good. So there you go. That's our cocktail. Okay. (laughs) Straight up brandy. I don't know if you'd call it a cocktail. That's your uh, (laughs) beverage. (laughs) It might just be my drink. (laughs) Oh, boy. All right. Well, cheers, mom. Enjoy it. Thank you. I am. Okay, well, let's just jump right into true crime. All right. I have such a love-hate relationship with social media. (laughs) It keeps me up to date on friends and family all over the world. But, like, there's just, there's always so much crap out there today. If it's not an advertisement, it's some media coverage that gives you a quarter of the proper facts. And so Mm -hmm. it takes you down a rabbit hole this way, that way. I mean, it's just... There's just so much crap out there. Uh, honestly, if it wasn't for this podcast and staying in touch with you listeners and our social social media platforms, like sharing pictures and stuff from cases, I don't know if I'd have a personal social media account. You don't know how many times I've told people that at this point, if it wasn't for this podcast, I would not have and social I have- media. And because I've moved around a lot and I used to do hair, I do have a lot of clients that really love to see pictures of the boys mm-hmm. on my personal Instagram and everything too. So, and, and I like to post for them and friends and family and, and like I said, keep in touch with people that live all over because that's some aunts and uncles. That's how I keep in touch right. with them nowadays, yeah. but it's just so overwhelming mm. and, and, and to grow up in this day and age. I, I hate it for my boys already. Everything's recorded. Everything's put out there right away. Right. And it's... Ugh. Anyway, I bring up social media accounts and such because these bad guys in this week's case would use bank directories listed on their websites of people that worked at the banks. Okay. And then they would cross-reference those names with LinkedIn and Facebook and stalk them. Oh. From there, they would learn things. How many kids did they have? Are they married? What activities are they into? Where do they live? Then, after discovering where they live, they would go and stalk uh-uh. their homes. Sometimes putting cameras in their yards no. to track them. Sometimes hiding out in army camo fatigues and night goggles. Oh, creepy. Watching the family. Learning the schedules. Learning the routines. And then they'd pounce. This case plays out much like a Hollywood movie. It's pretty insane. I actually first heard this podcast last summer uh, when Dateline released their podcasts. Right. Mm -hmm. The episode was called A Villainous Plan. It was from May 24th, 2019. They don't number their episodes, so that's the best I can give you if you want to listen to it. You can just Google A Villainous Plan Dateline and you'll get the link. This case blew me away, so I had to read other resources and share this with you. I'm going to start in February of 2015. 
And the first two victims were Matthew Yesman and a 70-year-old mother, Valerie. She had just recently moved into Matthew's house when her husband, Matthew's father, passed away. Matthew was a chief financial officer for a local bank by day, but a goalie for a local hockey team by night. He loved hockey. And this Sunday night, like every Sunday, he was out with his team, the Trash Pandas, playing a late game. His mother stayed home and was watching the Academy Awards. Those dang award shows are so long. Long. (laughs) And she was watching all of it. Oh, geez. (laughs) I usually record and watch it later so I can Uh. fast forward. But she was still watching them around midnight when she heard the garage opening, meaning that Matthew was getting home from his game. Mm Mm-hmm. Soon after she heard the car pull in, she heard shouting coming from the garage. She rushed to see what it was. Two armed men with masks and what Matthew described as goggles held her son down to the ground. Because of the home's location pushed back from the road, there were no neighbors or anyone that could see what was happening inside the garage. Matthew prayed this was just some home invasion and tried to calm his mom down, preparing to give the men anything they wanted so that they would just leave he and his mother alone. Mm Mm-hmm. Matthew had his hands duct taped behind his back and Valerie was taken to her room where her hands and ankles were duct taped to her bed. Both were blindfolded. The two men, two bad guys, led Matthew into the house and sat down at the kitchen table. They took his blindfold off and there sitting in front of him on the kitchen table was a bunch of wire and what looked like bricks made of clay. He was told that that next day he was going to go to work and rob his own bank. And these bombs of C4 were going to make sure that he did just that. The men requested $1 million be taken from the vault the next morning. One of the bombs was going to be strapped to him as he did so. Mm. To make sure he stayed on task and followed their direction, the other bomb was going to be placed under his mother's bed, the bed she lay duct taped to. Mm-hmm. After what I can imagine to be a very sleepless night. Yeah, no kidding. And again, the Dateline episode goes into way more depth of everything they took him around and they drove him around and had him put his head in a pillow and he doesn't even understand why they did that because they just ended up going home it was just it was weird and then uh one of the men came into the room where the mother where valerie lay duct taped and Mm -hmm. said i just want to let you know we're about to vacuum i didn't want to scare you i think they're vacuuming up their dna but they vacuumed the whole house but he like went in there and told her i just wanted you to know what was going on i'm vacuuming Okay, we've just duct taped you to the bed. You've got a blindfold on. I mean, if you're not scared already. But I just want to let you know I'm about to vacuum your home. Uh, Yeah. Okay. But so the episode goes into more depth. It's it's really, really interesting. So like I said, after what I can imagine to be a very sleepless night, the morning comes and the C4 explosives are strapped to Matthew's chest. He is ordered to call his boss at the credit union at 8.15 a.m. He explains to his boss the situation. I have a bomb strapped to me. Get the people out of there. And I need you to help me get $1 million. Do not call the police or my mother and I will be blown to bits. His boss responds, quote, is this a drill? (laughs) Well, Matthew responds, no, this is my life. So the next step was for Matthew to drive to the bank and get the money. And then he was supposed to await a text from the two men. It was supposed to arrive at 10 a.m., with drop-off directions. Okay. Matthew drives to the bank, pulls into the bank parking lot in the back, gives a sigh of relief when he sees that there's no vehicles there. So his boss had had, had mm-hmm. everyone evacuated. Good. But then he pulls around the front and he sees police cars. Oh, jeez. Lots of them waiting for him. They point their guns and demand he get out and lay on the ground. His boss had called the cops. Now what? Were those guys watching? Mm -hmm. Was he about to be obliterated? What about his mom? In nine degree weather, Matthew gets out of the car and lifts up his shirt to show the police he in fact was wearing a bomb. He begged for his life. He begged for safety. After seeing the bomb and with how cold it was outside, he was told he could could get back in his car as they awaited the bomb squad to come and assess the situation. He talks with the police and tells them the information the two men had told him. Hey, they're going to text me at 10 a.m. with the drop-off location and and with more directions. Then at 11, this bomb is supposed to go off. Oh, jeez. And exactly 10 o'clock, he receives a text from his mother's phone from the bad guys. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ready? Question mark. 
He is told by police to stall them and tells them it's more money that he planned and he needs a little bit more time. They respond, 20 minutes. And then there's no more texting. Okay, so what's going on? 20 minutes till what? Are they giving me an extra 20 minutes or 20 minutes till the bomb goes off? What's going to happen? Are they watching me? Do they know the police are here? What about, again, what about my mom? Mm -hmm. The bomb squad is having a hard time figuring out the bomb. The clock is ticking. At 10.59, Matthew just holds his breath. 11 comes and goes. Nothing happens. Mm. Matthew's like, well, maybe the time clock was wrong. It was the longest minute of his life. Oh, gosh. 11.01. Nothing happens. The bomb is a fake. The bomb is removed. And as soon as Matthew takes a sigh of relief, the police have him on the ground and cuffed. Oh. Taking him to the police station. Straight from victim to suspect. He is given a polygraph test. The officers come into the interrogation room afterwards and tell him he has failed it. Jeez. Quote, be a man and confess, unquote. What police don't know is that the same thing is happening to other people elsewhere. No. A thousand miles away in Tennessee, police are investigating suspected employees from robbing their own banks as well. One man was told to rob his credit union in Knoxville and was told, quote, we have someone watching your daughter and he will rape and kill her, unquote. At another bank in Knoxville, a man was told to rob for $200,000 or his wife and son would be butchered. Brooke Lyons worked at a bank in Tennessee and was found on the bank's website directory. And then she was hunted. Cameras were put outside of her home to watch her and learn her routine. She and her three-year-old son Carson were attacked by two men in army camo jackets with guns and a crowbar. Their faces were covered with masks and they held a gun to her young son's head. She was advised as long as she did what they said to do, no one would get hurt. Brooke and Carson were blindfolded and put into the back seat of a vehicle. She held onto her baby with all her might. The car stopped and the men told her, no wires, no police, or we will kill your son. Jeez. Go in and get $350,000. They gave her a large black bag and sent her in. The surveillance footage of this is just, it's agonizing. She is seen begging one of her co-workers to open the vault. They have Carson, she's begging, and they have guns. The lady at the bank just stares at her and does nothing. She wouldn't do anything because, quote, my job is on the line, <laughs> unquote. Then she proceeds to call her boyfriend. This is the co-worker. Calls her boyfriend, who, from what I understand, either was a cop or was friends with cops. Okay. But he calls the police. Yes. Brooke hurries and sprints back to the car to tell them she tried. I mean, she did exactly what they told her to do, but she couldn't get anything from them. She pleads for their lives. And the two men say, quote, no harm, no foul. No one saw her faces. And they drive her and Carson to an abandoned field. They give her her cell phone and they leave them there. Just leave them. Yes. She calls police right away. And the moment they show up, she She's is instantly treated like a suspect. The worst day of her life. And now they're interrogating her. Police are not sure what to believe. And they call the FBI for help. I mean, are these just some copycat inside jobs? Mm -hmm. Because the kidnappers and all the cases were different, too. In some cases, it was two men. One thin, one heavy set. In another, it was a white man and a black man. In another, it was a man and a woman. Oh, my gosh. So they've tied these together now. They don't know if they should tie them together. They don't know. Again, is this just an inside job? Because mm. like I was just saying, some cases it was a man, a woman, and another man. Oh, jeez. Okay. So is this just some copycat inside job that they're hearing that this was working, so I'm going to go try this? Or is this some big serial extortionist? Okay. Sketch artists draw the culprits described by the victims. And again, they're all different mm -hmm. were these victims even though an mo of a kidnapping and then robbing a bank was all the same that was it there were different threats there were different suspects in race and gender and to top it off there was no dna or evidence to prove it was there was anybody else involved but those claiming to be the victims okay and nobody's been hurt at this point not physically, but I'm well, sorry, mentally, but if somebody held a gun to my Mentally, yes, but nobody has been blown up or... Right. Okay. Only bizarre pattern they found, if they were to connect these cases, was that 
a vehicle was stolen before this quote-unquote bank heist. And then afterwards, that same car would be found torched, totally burnt. But like, what do you even do with that evidence? Like, is that even evidence? Right. Now, all the stolen vehicles have been found burnt up except for one. Now, here's where the bizarre twist of fate comes in. A dark burgundy SUV was stolen and never found burnt up after the Brook Lions incident. The one where her and her son were left in a field. Okay. And suddenly, a burgundy SUV is seen driving in North Carolina. And remember, that case was in Tennessee. Okay. And the police runs the plates, and sure enough, it's the stolen it's, it's vehicle. A, it's a stolen vehicle, and so they're assuming it's the one from Tennessee. Seeing its stolen plates, the police switches on his lights, and a police chase begins. It's very Hollywood, like I said. The driver starts speeding away and is running all of these other vehicles off the road. So he's pulling into the left lane to pass them, but then he's also pulling into the vehicle. Oh, jeez. To sideswipe them and push them, hoping to cause an accident to slow to down slow the, the police. police officer behind them. One of the hits actually puts the SUV in a tailspin and stalls the burgundy SUV. The car stops and the two men with black bags get out and run and they get away. Oh, Okay, so this stolen car and the two men are believed to just be a separate case. Okay, Jeez. they again, they don't have any ties to a burgundy car and a bank robbery. It's not like that car was seen at the bank even. True. It's just yeah. a car. Is, is this even a lead that we go on? So they have nothing to tie it to the bank robberies or the supposed kidnappings. Like I said before, it's just a coincidence that cars would get stolen and found burnt around the time of the robberies. They don't know. But here is that fate. I mean, seriously, a total bizarre twist of fate. Remember how I said the two men that ran away as they were driving, they were sideswiping vehicles. Right. One of those vehicles that they had hit was the daughter of the FBI investigator, Peter O'Hare, who was investigating the Brook Lyons bank robbery. Oh, jeez. What are the chances? Seriously. And even though, like I said, there's no ties to anything, Peter O'Hare has a hunch. A hunch. Follow those hunches, people. We've said it before. <laughs> he calls down North Carolina and asks if they still have the vehicle at the station. They do. So he heads out there to check it out. In the vehicle, on the dashboard, he finds a GPS. Now, it's been a while since we've all used GPS because we usually just use navigation in our cars or on our phones. Phones, right. But, you know, those little GPS right. that you'd plug into the cigarette lighter thing that, again, that's the little thing down there. The circle is probably, again, never <laughs> used not a cigarette lighter anymore. <laughs> but he goes on to this GPS system to check out past coordinates that this vehicle Smart. had driven mm -hmm. to. I know. And he finds that one of the past coordinates was one of the banks that was robbed. He also found that on several occasions, the GPS was directed to a grove of cabins in Maggie Valley, North Carolina. So this is all tying together now. Is this where the men are holding up? Mm. I mean, it is very central to the robberies in Tennessee, South Carolina, Georgia, Pennsylvania. Okay. It's very central to all of these locations, Connecticut. They don't have any probable cause to go crashing into this place. So they put the cabin under surveillance. Eventually, after a couple days, two men leave the cabin with two large black bags. Police follow the men, run the plates, and discover this car is also stolen. So now they have a reason to pull them nice. over. Okay. And this police officer flips on his lights and starts to follow them. But this time, instead of his high-speed car chase like he did last time, he slowly, the car like pulls to the side. He doesn't stop by any means, and he's going pretty damn fast. But he pulls to the side, slowing down just enough to push a man out <gasps> the passenger side door. Oh, my gosh. This man is clutching a small piece of paper. Again, he's violently shoved out of the car. The vehicle speeds away. Now, this man is Michael Benenti. He is called in for questioning, and he is pissed. He is adamant he had nothing to do with anything. He was set up. It's not him, but Brian Witham that the police want. So let's chat a little bit about these two men. Okay. okay. Both men are criminals or were criminals. They had both been in and out of prison since they were both around 17 years old. Jeez. Oh, okay. That's where they had actually met back in the day was in prison. Michael 
was struggling with things at home when he was around 17. His dad was sick and dying. His mom was barely able to pay the bills and keep their family afloat. So he started robbing grocery stores and banks while in high school. One day during a grocery store holdup, things went bad and he opened fire on an officer, Mm. earning him 17 years in prison where he met Brian with them, who started at 17 robbing like local pizza huts, friendlies, restaurants and movie theaters. If it makes it any better for Brian, he was known as the polite bandit <laughs> okay. because he was very nice and had very nice manners as he was robbing places. Can you please give me all your money. <laughs> Thank you. So like I said, the two met and became friends. Now, some resources claim that they actually plotted a prison escape that failed Mm-hmm. But other resources never made mention of this, so I don't, don't know if I that's don't true. Know. Yeah. But since his release in 2008, Michael had seemed to turn his life around. He started a company called Prisoner Assistant. It was a firm that helped inmates while in prison to guard their money. So he would teach them how to set up checking and savings accounts, and he would help them keep their money safe while they were all in prison, and then he would kind of counsel them in finances and... And okay. it was for the for the prisoners. And then when they were released, he would help rehabilitate them with their earned savings and help them get out of prison All and right. show them. So like, it sounds is, like a good thing. Right. It, it, and it was. It was actually a very well-known organization and seemed to be doing a lot of good. The Wall Street Journal even did a profile on him and his company. He was very successful in what he was doing. He had a serious girlfriend, Natasha, and they went on many tropical trips together. He lived pretty lavishly, I would say. A okay. um, fun little side note. He actually attempted to audition his company to Shark Tank. Oh, I thought that was kind of fun. So he's helping past prisoners, one of them being Brian Witham. Michael got out of prison before Brian, but the two stayed in touch. And Michael would counsel Brian as well as other prisoners when he got out, mm-hmm. trying to give them support when they were released from jail. So the serious girlfriend actually started working for Michael as the company's CFO. Okay. Fast forward and police now have Michael and Brian in custody. Oh, they have Brian now too. Okay. Yes. Especially after all the evidence they found in the cabin. Pictures of bank employees, notes on them, like where their kids went to school, their Facebook profiles, their addresses, Mm -hmm. photos and camera footage of the people's houses. They found night goggles and different masks, wigs, camo, and disguises. They knew they had their guys, but Michael's pointing at Brian and Brian's pointing at Michael. (laughs) And both, of course, are claiming their innocence, especially Michael with his story. The video of him in the interrogation room, he's just such a punk. I'll just call him punk. I help prisoners. I'm not one anymore. I'm not one anymore. I'm a good guy. (laughs) Like, just bleh. Now, according to Michael, the two lost touch. Okay. Michael and Brian Mm -hmm. had lost touch once Brian got out of prison. And like I said, Michael seemed to be on a good path now. And then one day he discovered his girlfriend had committed suicide. Natasha. Natasha? Mm -hmm. A gunshot to her head. She was found in a hotel room with a suicide note. Apparently he had been cheating on her with a stripper. Again, different resources claim different things, but she committed suicide. Now, here is, it just gets a little shady for me because according to Michael, she committed suicide and he had her cremated, her wishes, and he took her ashes somewhere tropical. And then when he got back to the States, this is when he wanted to reconnect with old friends. And that's when he reached out and met up with Brian with him. Okay. Okay. So he had only been hanging out with Brian for the last like five days. Because she had committed suicide maybe two weeks prior to his arrest. I see. Okay. If not sooner. He said he had no idea Brian had been robbing banks and kidnapping people and everything. He had no idea. He was just a guy in the wrong place at the wrong time trying to reconnect with an old friend. Again in the interrogation room, quote, I'm the CEO of a major company. Why would I ever need to rob a bank? Unquote. Hmm. Hmm. Look into that, shall we? Hmm. Apparently, Mr. CEO had been extorting money from his prisoner clients and using the money to support all those trips and fun things he was doing with Natasha. So to sum it up, police believe Michael had been stealing from prisoners. And some of those prisoners were some really bad guys. Right. And they were getting out. So when they get out, he needs to make sure that they have their money. Yeah. So it's believed that he's robbing these banks to give those guys back their money. Then, I mean, because look, you had... 
one kidnapping for 200,000, one kidnapping for 350,000, one kidnapping for a million dollars. So it's not, it's just random numbers. It is. It's not all the same. It's Mm -hmm. not. So what does this have to do with Natasha? She was the CFO. So it's believed that she was in the, she was in the dark about all of it, but that's the financial advisors, the company's financial Mm -hmm. advisor. So I think she started to maybe see the -hmm. embezzlement and maybe that's, uh, was it a suicide? Was that was my question actually because usually women don't shoot themselves. But so he, I'm not gonna, I don't know how to proceed with that because right now he's actually in court dealing with this, saying like stop bringing like he's suing somebody for bringing that up. Like not don't talk about me killing Natasha. I didn't kill Natasha. Oh, mm-hmm. so okay, I didn't say anything. <laughs> I don't think they're gonna come after <laughs> little old us, but. I don't know. It's just too weird for me because I do see her being in the dark. But then if she's a CFO, she's going to be seeing money come and go. Numbers I would are not making sense, I, right? I would assume. But he claims this is not true. It wasn't until after her suicide a week ago that he met up with Brian. So he couldn't have anything to do with the robberies in the last few months. Mm-hmm. And then they find it. In one of the photos from one of the stakeouts in an image of a bank. So this is just a picture taken from inside of a car of a bank. Okay. And this is not even a bank that they ended up, that was robbed. It was just a bank. Okay. Okay. In the image, in the rear view mirror, you see Michael. (laughs) (laughs) He's questioned about this photo. And at first he claims, that's not me. That's not me. (laughs) And then he even points out, that bank wasn't even robbed. (laughs) But in the next breath, he's like, oh, yeah, that was taken in November when I went back to Brian's cabin. That's when it was taken. (laughs) Then, quote, all right, I'll talk. But I want full immunity. Full. Yeah. Okay. Police aren't buying it, though. And they put both men in prison. And they actually put both men in adjacent holding cells. Their goal is to wait. Wait and see who rats on who first. Mm -hmm. Then another twist. Michael's heard telling Brian to blame everything on Michael. He then grabs a prison-issued razor, breaks it, and slits his own throat and his wrists. Oh, jeez. He's taken to the local hospital. While in the hospital, his life in the balance, Brian obeys his friend's command and blames everything on Michael. Michael was the mastermind, and Brian was just the accomplice. And let's add another twist. Michael survives. Oh, no. And it's too late for him because (laughs) police got all they needed from Brian already. And after their trials, that's the story that's shared. Brian was the accomplice. Michael was the mastermind. Brian even testified against Michael in court. In 2017, Michael was found guilty and sentenced to four consecutive life sentences. Whoa. And in case he lives through those, (laughs) he also has 155 years on top of that. (laughs) Oh, jeez. He started his appeal process last year, still claiming his innocence. (laughs) Or I guess I should say that he didn't have as much of a role because he cooperated or because the ball fell in his court. I really don't know. Brian got 30 years, no probation. That's it? He will be 70 when he is released from prison. (sighs) Families of those affected are very upset with Brian's sentencing. Yeah. It was terrible what these victims went through, not to mention they were treated as suspects for as long as they were. Like one victim was told that every extra minute they took inside the bank, the family member at home would lose a finger. Mm. One victim, Abigail Harris, told the court during the trial via Knoxville News, quote, Brian put a loaded gun in the face of my infant child as I was holding him in my arms, tears dripping onto his face. When you point a gun at a victim, you do it with the intent to terrorize. I do not think and I do not now believe he should have been shown any additional leniency. No. Unquote. Even though there was no deaths, unless you believe Michael did kill his girlfriend, Natasha, Mm -hmm. the horror and the nightmares these people faced is scary enough. So if you want to go and double check those settings on your social media, I advise you to. Put it on private. Oh, just have it on private. Who cares how many likes you get? It is not worth it. No. Uh, I know after I researched this, I double quadrupled checked all of my settings. The end. That was just crazy. 
So it was Brian and Michael the whole time? Brian and Michael the entire time. One of them just dressed as a woman sometime? Yes, yes. And they had these crazy masks. So it was almost like they would get a Halloween mask and then Mm -hmm. put a black mask on top of this Halloween mask with a wig. So it would look like a woman and a man in some cases. Mm -hmm. Brian was much um, smaller than Michael was. In some cases, it looked like there was a black man and a white man or two black men. I mean, it was crazy. Just so scary. Wow. But it was them the whole time. And mm-hmm. they just used terroristic, I guess, approaches yeah. to yeah. get this money. Did they Did they ever, I mean, from what you had said, they didn't get money. Did they ever get money? Yes. They did. Yes. Yes, they did. Oh, jeez. Yeah. And to be treated like suspects. In their community, not just by police, but the community even. Right. And that was their job. Right. Well, I, no longer probably after that. I, oh, it was on. awful. And then I just can't believe you only got 30 years. No. That just blows my mind. I don't care how much evidence and everything he turned over. Because the other one was quite lengthy. I mean, he's, you know, if he lives to be 200, he'll still be in prison. Yes. And then Brian only got 30 years. 30 years. He'll be 70 when he gets released. Yep. There you go. There you go. All right. Shall we move on, Mom? We shall move on. And I chose Tennessee, as I said before. Because, well, you and I used to live in Clarksville, Tennessee. Yes. So when I got the paranormal in Tennessee, I did actually look Clarksville area and say, hauntings in Clarksville. (laughs) Nothing exciting. So I went about 20 miles east and there lay Adams, Tennessee. From this little neck of the woods comes the most well-documented haunting in U.S. history. I am, of course, talking about the Bell Witch. Oh, course of course now i'm going to be up front and say there is no real proof that any of what i'm going to tell you is true it's true okay <laughs> but there are many who believe it you obviously being one me? <laughs> <laughs> and well you can tell me whether you believe it or not after you've heard the story listeners team beth team beth, team beth. <laughs> john bell married lucy williams in 1782 she was 12 he was 32. That part I don't like Just the truth. Though. Throwing <laughs> that out there. That is the truth. Oh, yikes. They became a very prosperous farming family, but John didn't want to stay in North Carolina. So I am kind of hitting North Carolina. Oh, look at that. So in the winter of 1804, he and Lucy journeyed west, settling in an area called Red River, which is in the northwest section of Tennessee, now Adams, Tennessee. There he purchased 398 acres of land. He turned most of that land into farmland. And within a couple of years, just like when he lived in North Carolina, John Bell became a very prosperous man and also a leading citizen in the area. The family was very religious, belonging to the Baptist church in town, where John was named an elder. The couple had six children. And on all accounts, the family was doing very well until 1817. As John was inspecting his fields, he saw a strange animal. As he crept closer, he could see that the animal was a dog, but with the head of a rabbit. Being totally thrown by this odd creature, he started to shoot at it, but missed. The creature ran off, or did it? For that very same evening, as the family read scripture, they heard knocking on the outside walls So now this dog can knock? Was it, what do they call it, uh, when they can change into different... Morph? No. no, there's another name for it when you can change magic. <laughs> no. Okay, I'm going on with the story. It's a cryptid. Okay, go on. John and two of his oldest boys ventured outside to see what was there, but saw nothing. The knocking grew louder and with increasing force. This occurred night after night at the same time of the evening and night after night John and his sons searched for the source of the sound but saw nothing. Then one night, the knocking from the outside stopped. (sighs) Sigh of relief. No, because now the entity had entered the house. How? The knocking came from the inside. So scary. When the children were in their beds, they heard a sound like rats gnawing on the feet of the bed. Well, that could easily have been true. But there were no rats in the house. 
Then the children experienced their covers being taken off of them and flung across the room as well as pillows being slid from under their heads. Okay, that's happened to me. That is a very, very scary thing. Stop laughing. It's scary. (laughs) And it happened. (laughs) With this, yeah, we still have to cover that. With this, the entity just seemed to grow stronger. The family now heard whispers, which sounded like they were coming from a feeble old woman. But as the whispers increased, the strength of the entity seemed to also grow. The family could now make out the voice of a woman singing hymns and quoting scripture. The woman's strength grew even stronger. And now the family could hear her talking to them. It seemed that the entity could also multi-locate. She proved this by quoting sermons word for word that were said in two churches at the same time of the morning. 13 miles apart. Wait, what? I got lost. <laughs> I know. It was hard for me to figure out how to word this exactly. So there was two churches. Okay. 13 miles apart. Got it. And the preacher's preaching his little heart out. Okay. At the same time. Okay. Their sermons. like So there's two preachers, both, two churches. Both started at, let's own. say, 10 o'clock. Got okay? it. Okay. She c- could quote exactly what the preacher had said in his sermon from both churches. And they're not saying the same thing. So she's no. quoting both. That's creepy. Yeah. They're not saying the same thing. No. Of course, the family was becoming more and more unhinged, <laughs> I would say. You think? As these things kept happening. The spirit was, for the most part, a nuisance, but harmless until it wasn't. John's health was failing, and the couple's daughter, Elizabeth, who went by Betsy, started experiencing physical abuse from the spirit. Her hair would be violently pulled and she would be slapped across the face. Oh my gosh. And pinched so much so that she was usually covered with bruises on her face and arms. The reason for this torment, for some reason the spirit, which by now had been called a witch, did not (laughs) approve of Betsy's engagement to a neighbor boy, Joshua Gardner. Well, he wasn't five times her age. (laughs) Probably not. He was the boy. (laughs) After several years of this aggression from the witch, Betsy did call off her engagement. And then the attack stopped. Because this entity is attacking her? Why didn't she just move out? Get married and move out. Oh. (laughs) Come on, Betsy. Hold your own. But if you ever want to use an excuse to get out of a bad engagement, (laughs) just saying this might work. (laughs) Do you see these bruises? I'm getting pinched. This is a sign. The family did not keep this all a secret. In fact, John asked his neighbor and friend, James Johnson, and James's wife to spend the night at the Bell's house. They did so, and they did experience everything that John had told them was happening. But something this odd could not have been kept a secret, and soon people from all over started traveling to the Bell's farm. Asking to have slumber parties. <laughs> Can I sleep with you? One of these people was actually General Andrew Jackson. What? <laughs> Asking for a sleepover? What does this have to do with Brandy? I'm still trying to tie I'm that not together. there yet. Okay. And there's a great story that goes along with his visit. So supposedly, as Jackson and his men were approaching the farm, the horses pulling his wagon stopped. And try as they may, the men could not get the horses to move. They were Smart. like glued to the ground, literally. Smart. They couldn't pick up their hooves, nothing. They were glued. The ground was dry and level. There were no rocks or sharp objects in the road. Nothing that could explain the animal's strange behavior. Then the men heard a woman's voice, first laughing at their frustration, and then, quite distinctly, it said, All right, General, let the wagons move on. I will see you again tonight. That night, while Jackson sat with the So the horses were able to move? Yep, after that. Boom, just like that. That night, while Jackson sat with the bells, one of his men pulled out a witch tamer. Oh, what is this? Please share. Alex is taking notes. (laughs) I did not know what that was either. But it's a special gun that fires silver bullets. Oh. Okay. Now go back to the story about the family that said that their house was haunted. And then they which, went. Which which episodes this, Mom? This is like, we. This is episode eighty-two. I think the, we've covered a the few little girl. Haunted. No, it was the father, the mother, and the little girl. And they walked like zombies, packing their 
truck. Oh, oh, your true crime story. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Where was that? Jameson family in Oklahoma. There you go. Okay. Jameson family, Oklahoma. Yes. Remember, he asked his pastor for a gun that shoots silver bullets to kill the, to shoot at the demons. Yes. And I feel like we talked about silver bullets to the vampires. The though. vampires also. Yes. But it does have a name. The witch tamer. Okay, so this guy said that he had dealt with witches in the past and could take care of this one. Not a problem. The invisible entity. Suddenly, the man was kicked in the bum repeatedly, (laughs) guided to the front door, and then with a big kick to the bum, was tossed out into the yard. There you go. No one saw who was kicking the man, but everyone knew who it was. The Bell Witch. Well, it's just kind of funny to me, though, because it's like, can you imagine he's threatening to shoot her with a gun? And she's like, oh, I'm just going to kick you out of this like, house. Can you imagine this guy holding this gun, whatever it looks like. And then you Being can't such a see ass. you can't see this person kicking him. But you see him going, woo, woo, <laughs> woo. And finally he flies out the front door. He's like, I got the witch tamer. And then he realizes, crap, I don't have any bullets. And he <laughs> pretends to be kicked out. <laughs> Blame everything on the witch. Crap, That's I what I'm saying. The dang bullets. <laughs> witch tamer. Oh, 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 the witch is getting me. But the witch spoke after she did, she did that. And she said, General, this man is an old fraud. And tomorrow night, I will name another. Ooh, who's the, she going to kick next? Well, the men pulled out the next morning. Maybe they had some place to be, and maybe they just didn't want the witch to point out her gnarly finger at one of the other ones of them. So, I mean, he was a general. I think he probably had other things to go they do, left. but yeah. It is said that before Jackson left, he said, quote, By the eternal, I saw nothing, but I heard enough to convince me that I would I would rather fight the British than to deal with this torment they call the Bell Witch. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> okay, transparent. So it sounds like the the bells just sat around telling ghost stories all night. And he got very scared. So he didn't see anything. They just He saw he, that man being kicked. But he says he didn't see anything and he <laughs> heard things. So they just told him some really scary ghost Maybe. stories. Okay, transparency and all. There is no record of Jackson ever visiting the bells. And his movement was well documented during that time. But he did own some land not far from the Bells. And John's two oldest sons did fight under Jackson. So it is possible that he stopped by the Bells homestead. Including that this witch was pretty well known. And maybe he did want to stop and see the stories. He's name dropping. Yeah. To get in. Yeah, his own. <laughs> I know he's name dropping to get into those slumber parties. In 1820, John Bell's health declined sharply. He had trouble moving, was soon confined to the house and then his bed. And on December 20th, 1820, he died. A vial of some dark liquid was found on his bedside table. No one knew where it came from or what it was. Huh. So... Maybe you'll appreciate this. Maybe you won't. A drop was given to the family cat, who promptly fell over dead. Well, I don't want a cat to die. I me not liking cats. Then his spirit came to haunt. No, I'm kidding. Oh gosh, I was like, oh great. There it is. The liquid the family surmised was some kind of poison left by the witch. Of course, this idea was merited by the witch herself when she said, "Quote." I gave old John a dose of that and fixed him. (laughs) There was no witch activity at the Bell's house for a few days after John died. But at his funeral, as people were leaving the graveside, a woman's voice was heard laughing and then singing an old drinking song. (laughs) A drinking song. Row me up some (laughs) brandy-o. Oh, boy. (laughs) Clever. Very clever. I get the drink this week now. Thank you. The witch finally departed in April 1821. So she just comes and goes? Yeah, she does. But not before she informed the Bells that she would return in seven years. Specific. I and see. And she died. She died. And she did. Supposedly, she returned in 1828, during which time she visited with John Bell Jr. She talked with him about the past, the present, and the future. 
Because this witch. So now she's friendly and she's just sitting down with a cup of, with a shot of brandy <laughs> chatting. They're, yeah, you can't say cup of tea. She kind of liked the brandy. So because this old witch didn't just hold conversations and multi-locate, she could also predict the future. Yep. Wow. Before she left, she told John Jr. that she would return in 107 years. Oh. 1935. And? Now, I found no evidence that she did return. So she lied. But some say she never left because strange things that happen in and around Adams. So who is this bell witch? She's often referred to as Kate. (laughs) Kate Bats, Bates, I think it's Bats, was a very eccentric woman who was a neighbor to the bells. She is described as being very beautiful with long flowing brown hair, but she was mean as a snake. A neighbor described her as, quote, pretty as sin, kindly as the devil. Uh, she and John had a nasty dispute about something and their animosity towards one another was well known. I guess since Kate was eccentric and very different than most of the townspeople, she was looked on as a witch. Uh, yeah. It didn't so help that, stupid. as legend has it, she vowed to kill John Bell. And indeed, he did mysteriously die. Huh. So. <laughs> but... She died before him. Well, that just makes there you go. everything. The question is, if you did have a question, <laughs> is the Bell Witch or Kate still around? There are still reports of strange activity, most of it happening in the Bell Cave. The cave sits on what was the Bell property and is very close to where the Bell House once sat. Visitors have reported feeling a presence once they were in the cave, like someone watching them. There have been reports of noises coming from the deeper part of the cave. (laughs) Could be rocks dropping. I don't know. Echoes. People have heard groaning that got louder and then would stop and then would start again. That's just me getting up and sitting down. (laughs) Or the witch. (laughs) Loud thumps have been heard as well as what sounds like a stone landing close by. High-pitched screams have been heard. Oh, oh, wow. There you go. That would be me trying to sit down. (laughs) As you can imagine, books have been written about the Bell Witch. The one that is the most frequently referred to and is actually an important source of historians on the subject is Authenticated History of Bell Witch. It was written in 1894 by M.V. Ingram. The Bell Witch, the full account, was written by Pat Fitzhugh and The Bell Witch, an American Haunting by Brent Monahan, just to name a few. So the last two were written in the t- 2000s. Got recently. it. There are also several movies covering this topic. Bell Witch, the movie. Oh, <laughs> clever title. 2007. I don't know where they got that title from. <laughs> the Bell Witch Haunting. Oh. 2013. And The Mark of the Bell Witch, 2020. Never watched any of those. Haven't Sorry. even heard of them. Again, just to name a few. So, if you're ever in the Adams area, you can go for a tour in the cave. Just call in advance to make sure it's open, COVID and all, you know. From the pictures I saw, it's a very cool looking cave. And at the same time, witch or no witch, it is a very eerie looking cave. It's kind of different. The colors in the cave are different. If any listeners have visited the area, please let us know. I'd love to hear about your experience. And I have to add here... Ghost Adventures was there in the cave, but by golly, I could not find it anywhere. I know I've seen it, but it was... Telling you to get Discovery I know. Plus, mother. I think I'm, I've got to break down and do it. Gotta do it. It's just like we tell our patrons, it's $5 a month, <laughs> and you get all the Ghost Adventures episodes <laughs> ever. Plus, the new ones that come out, plus Weeks before a they ton hit of Travel Channel. true crime Oh, there's tons of true crime on there. It's yeah. honestly a really good resource deal. Yeah. That was kind of fun though, wasn't it? Yeah. I love that she's <laughs> singing a drinking song at his gravestone. At the graveside. That's great. I don't know. She doesn't seem very scary to me. She did a bunch of knocking around the walls. She made chewing noises, lifted blankets up, and kicked a guy out of the house. Made chewing noises? I was trying to place that... <laughs> Oh, God, that would be horrible. Gosh, I'm going to love editing that. It's like one of my biggest pet peeves is hearing people eat. I mean, I guess John did die, but he, he was did. old. And, and Betsy had a bunch of pinch marks all over her and 
red marks on oh, her shoot. face. I forgot about that. But it saved her from a marriage. <laughs> it, I don't think she wanted to get married. That made it sound like I don't want to be married. <laughs> yes, it did. Saved her from did getting not. married. Alex is looking for that. Oh, the witch tamer. Alex is looking for that witch tamer right now. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. I phrased that very incorrectly. She's probably some young girl. Who? The- Betsy. Betsy was a young girl. Well, yeah. You her mean- mom was 12 when she got married. <laughs> <laughs> her mom's like, oh, honey, you're 10 years old. You're reaching that age. Start looking. Oh, there's the neighbor boy. God, He's so only 25. So messed up. <laughs> so wrong. Anyway, go check your Facebook settings. Yes. <laughs> You don't want the Bell Witch coming, yeah. <laughs> Go try some apple brandy. Oh my gosh, it is really good. Yeah, I remember it from the cider. It's very good. And uh, if you haven't already, join our Patreon. We only have one more episode left. Until baby. Until we're taking our hiatus. So you can join us. The link is in the description of this episode, as well as on our website, killerhangoverpodcast.com, or you can email us, killerhangoverpodcast at gmail.com. And patrons will be receiving episodes, episodes, updates, pictures. We will be in touch with you, with you. And then we will begin again for everybody on November November 1st. 1st. Yep. But we are going to end with a very. Yes. Next week's episode is going to probably be a bit longer than what y'all are used to. But we wanted to end it on a high note. I don't know about the high note, but it is very interesting. Yes. It'll be a great episode. Well, this was a good episode. Oh, this was kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cheers to your little shot glass. Nobody got killed in the true crime or the paranormal except for John Bell. Well, Natasha, but. Oh, I forgot Natasha. Sorry, Natasha. Yeah. But that's, you know, did she get killed or was it suicide? Regardless, she's the only death in this episode. Mm -hmm. That. Except for John. Don't forget John now. I think he died of old age. Well, they, they say that he had six kids and his older sons fought. They say he had some neurological problem, probably. And thus he was seeing things. Mom, why didn't you include that in your story? I didn't want to blow it for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> this, so <it's laughs> this is just a guess. Oh, boy. <laughs> You know me, I'm always looking for the side that <laughs> no so that half dog, half rabbit thing he saw. It was neurological. <laughs> it was probably just a dang cat. <laughs> or maybe a rabbit. <laughs> oh my god. a big old jackrabbit. <laughs> no, take that all back. It is a true story. Very factual. Good work, mom. <laughs> Cheers, mama. <laughs> Cheers. Love you, kid. <laughs>